All right. Grab your Bibles. Hope you have them handy. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and this evening, Lord willing, we're going to be in verses 19 through 25. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. So therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord, we pray that you would take the very words that you have inspired in your scripture and that you would make them alive for us. That a passage like this would burn in our heart and burn in our bones, Lord. And like Jeremiah, even though we might be struggling and we might be uh, having a difficult time with things, we cannot deny that this is your word and it just consumes us, Lord. Especially a passage like this, Lord, may we take the words and, that are so practical and so important for our daily lives and may we see them lived out by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name, amen. Well, this week I was struck with the fact of how important uh, preaching really is. I went to a funeral. I do go to lots of funerals anymore. But one specific funeral was from a pa- of a pastor who had just passed away. And at this funeral, one of the things that people kept coming to over and over and over again was the fact that his authority, his Everything that he said came from the Bible. He was the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And everyone who got up kept saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it was not only a testimony to the man's ministry, but it was a testimony to the power of the word of God. Because all of those people who kept coming up over and over again, talking about his love for the Bible, his being in the word, were affected deeply by the ministry of the word of God that this man preached forth from the pulpit, from his life, in all of the things that he did, whether it was writing them out or whether it was calling somebody on the phone, they knew they were going to hear from the Lord because they were going to hear the Bible spoken. A passage like this right now where the author of Hebrews is transitioning from the doctrine, the heavy, heavy doctrine that he's been going through, And moving into the practical portion of the book where he takes all of the theology that he's taught 
and applies it to their lives is important because what we find so often in churches, at least it's been my experience, is that a lot of people want to dwell in the realm of the practical. They want to dwell in the realm of Hebrews 10, 19 through the rest of the book rather than dealing with the beginning of the book, which is the foundation for why this part matters. We just assume the theology and let's get to the stuff where I actually have to do it. It's a spiritual Home Depot. Let's just get doing it, get building our lives and get going together. But look how he begins. Therefore, brothers, okay, he's beginning the theological portion, pardon me, the practical portion of his book. And the beginning of the practical portion of the book, he immediately goes back and gives you three doctrinal principles. That's important. Theology matters. Doctrine matters. Doctrine, I have said many times, dictates lifestyle, and that's exactly what this text is. Doctrine dictating your lifestyle. The first three principles that he gives are doctrine. The second three principles he gives are your lifestyle. What you believe is going to come out in the way you live. And so he begins by saying, therefore, brothers, since we have three things, one confidence, two a living way, and three a great high priest. Okay, if you're jotting down notes, first thing, because we have confidence, a new and living way, and a great high priest, then we can live in the way he tells us to. But let's look at those. First of all, we have a confidence. In, I don't assume everybody has an ESV, which is the translation I use. If you have a different one, it might say boldness, which is probably a more accurate word, apparently. I'm not a Greek scholar. So I'm relying upon Greek scholars to tell me that. But boldness really is our freedom to come to the Lord because of our relationship with the Lord. A boldness, a confidence to come to the Lord because of our relationship with the Lord. Now if you'll notice there, he begins this by saying brothers. That's a very intimate, close relationship that you have with somebody being a brother with somebody. Physically, I have one brother, right? He lives here in Chico. I don't see him very often. Um, But you know what? One of the things that comes with this family relationship that we have is that there's going to be, we can get together like that and immediately start talking about Uncle Frank and Aunt Ginger. We can talk about my mammy and my pappy. We can start talking about Uncle Doug and Uncle Doug just died a little, you know, earlier this year. But we can start talking about these things and we have this relationship because of the family relationship that we have. We can start talking with one another, close with one another because of this. I have a confidence. I know I can go over to his house probably right now and knock on his door and he would come out and we could just sit down on his front porch and start talking, even though we haven't talked in a while. It's a confidence. It's boldness. Where I wouldn't dare with some people to go and to act this way. But we have been adopted into the family of God and therefore we have a confidence and we have a boldness to enter where? The holy places. 
Because of our relationship with Christ, Romans chapter 8 says that we are brothers with Christ, co-heirs with Christ, that we have the most intimate of relationships that we can with Christ and with God because he is now our father. And that's the confidence we have. Now, remember that he's writing to Jewish Christians and these Christians for millennia have been forbidden access to come to God based upon the design of worship that God himself gave them. You can't approach me. You can't come before me. Only one person can come before me one time in the year, and he might not even be worthy when he comes before me. But the regular common person, no way. You didn't have that kind of access. And so for thousands of years, the tradition, the history has been, you can't just walk in before the presence of God. You can't come to the Lord. You need a priest to enter in on your behalf. You need someone else who is your mediator between you and God. You don't have that confidence. And one of the things the Hebrew Christians were struggling with is that liberty, that freedom, to come boldly. And so one of the draws back to Judaism, back to this mystery religion that was um, mysticism mixed with Judaism, was the fact you can't just come before the Lord. That was a hard, hard, hard presupposition to get over. So difficult, a lot of them didn't. Now we have the opposite problem. We're cocky. <laughs> We're so cocky that we think we can come to the Lord all the time and he's always going to hear us. So when we hear a passage that talks about the fact that God doesn't hear our prayers when we're sinning or men treat your wives well or your prayers will be hindered, we read right over those things and we go, ah, I'm okay. I'm right, I'm good. I mean, God, we're okay. But we should take those things as seriously as we take a passage like this. God is serious about his worship, but we, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, do have confidence and do have boldness to come in. But that doesn't mean all of a sudden we can come in in a cavalier manner, in a way where we're haughty and arrogant and just like show up saying, hey, what up, Lord? The second thing is that we do have a new and a living way. The old way, you'll remember, was full of death, 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 death. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Blood, blood, blood. It was a mess. But brothers, sisters, we have a new and a living way. We don't come through the way of death anymore because Jesus Christ has opened up the curtain for us that is through his flesh. One death accomplished for all time our access to the Lord. In fact, go back in Hebrews to chapter 4. It says, we have, verse 14, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. He has passed through the heavens. He has, as it were, paved the way for us. He has trailblazed the path of redemption for us in going on ahead, in dying for our sins, and then going up into heaven, giving us this new and living way, giving us the access to the Lord that is an access that is unfettered, 
Because our high priest, look what it says there, is not unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because in every respect he was tempted as we are but yet without sin. So therefore we can come with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Our confidence is based upon Christ's accomplishing his work of suffering for my sake. You all know the temptations that you struggle with daily. I'm not going to presume to know them and give you a big list of temptations because you know them full well. Christ, it says, has been tempted in every point as we are. Every single one. So whatever temptations you struggle with, you deal with, you wrestle with, Christ himself has wrestled and dealt with those things in ways that you can't even imagine. Because you give in to those temptations eventually. Christ never did. Christ was always, always resisting sin. Always resisting that temptation to do what the devil would have him do, what Satan would come and have him do, rather than what the Father did. But he was able to say confidently and accurately in John chapter 5, I only do the things the Father tells me to do. That's where our salvation lies, you see. This is where our confidence lies, is the new and living way through Jesus Christ. Because he has accomplished all of it for our sakes. That we are tempted, we sin, we struggle, but Christ has been victorious over every sin and every suffering trial that we endure because of our own nature. This new and living way is a way that we can go down because of the confidence in our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, he bases it on the great high priest we have in Jesus Christ. So, we saw Jesus as our great high priest. He has borne our wrath that we deserve. He has provided us a new and living way. And our confidence to come to God is based upon Jesus and Jesus alone. So in Hebrews chapter 7, which we looked at, I don't know, a couple of months ago, when he says Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant, the former priests, though they were many in number, but because they were prevented by death from continuing in their office... Christ came and he holds a priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. Our great high priest is one that always lives to make intercession for us. The confidence we have when we come by the new way, that is the way of Jesus Christ, is found in our high priest, not in ourselves. Which should leave the arrogance and the cockiness out that some people do have. We come humbly, understanding that we have a great high priest in the person of Jesus Christ, and he has saved to the uttermost, me, namely, that I might come before him and I might be redeemed by him, that I might have this new way, and my confidence, my boldness is now in my relationship with the Father through my brother, Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest. 
over the house of God. So he begins here, you'll notice, by telling the Hebrews, look, you have a holy place still, you have a new and living way, and you have a high priest, but all of these things are newer and better in the person of Jesus Christ. (coughs) So for us as Gentiles who don't have this background, we actually have a, not third, but a fourth, if you will, position to come from, is that we needed to be even in the right Family, we needed to. We were not even in the covenant people of God of the old covenant, and we needed to be. We needed to have that dividing wall that was between us, Jews and Gentiles, broken down by the Father, broken down by Jesus Christ, and it was for us. So now, when we come to the practical section of the book, everything that we read needs to be understood and remembered in the light of Christ as our High Priest. He's provided us the new way through his body, and our confidence alone is in him. So if we try to do anything that we read from here on out without that foundation, it's law. It's law, it's law, it's law, it's works. And you are trying to work for your righteousness, and it will not happen. It will not, it won't work for you. This is our foundation. So everything we do when he tells us, let us, let us, let us, in these next few verses is founded on what Christ has already done for us. So first of all, let us draw near. Second of all, let us hold fast our confession. And third of all, let us consider how to stir up one another. If you're taking notes, these three things, we have an individual confidence, we have a corporate confidence, and we have a relational confidence. So first of all, our individual confidence. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The word true there could be sincere. And you probably are familiar with that word, right? You want to do business or have friends who are sincere with you who are honest, who are truthful, who have integrity. You probably know that the word comes from a Greek word that means without wax. Pottery in this day was a hot commodity. And it was important to have a piece of pottery that you could rely on and depend on. You're putting all kinds of things in it. You didn't want it to crack and to break and to, you know, be useless. So one of the things that would happen is if a potter was making a pot and it did crack during one of the parts of the process, he would take a little bead of wax all along the line of the break and then put that back together, then glaze it, then fire it, and you wouldn't be able to tell because it was glazed. It looked great. But if you held it up to the light, you could see that sun shining through that subtle little crack of wax that was there within the pottery. Good pottery, the best pottery of the day was without wax. It was sincere. That's where that word comes from. So we want sincere hearts, true hearts, not double-minded hearts. What he's saying here is your heart ought to be full for Christ. Because of everything Christ has done for you, what are you left holding on to in your sin nature or back in your own way of living? 
We draw near with a true heart. We don't draw near as a double-minded man, right? James says the double-minded man should not come before the Lord thinking he's going to get anything from the Lord because he's not. What does it mean to be double-minded? It means that part of me wants to come to the Lord and part of me still wants the things of the world. Part of me comes to the Lord and asks a request, but I do have another agenda back behind it. As if the Lord doesn't know that. The thing is we all understand that because we've all done that from time to time. Every single one of us has come to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, Lord, please just do this in my life. And in the back of our mind we're saying, Because we're going to benefit X, Y, and Z. So we understand this. But the Lord tells us here, because of everything that Christ has done for you, we come to the Lord with a true heart, letting him have his way in our life with full assurance of faith. Because you're sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Don't live in that double-minded way. You are, in fact, unfortunately, partially sanctified. So unfortunately, you still do have part of you that has yet to be redeemed. And you still do unfortunately have to wrestle with that all of the time. But part of the wrestle is that because of all that Christ has done, I can come to the Lord with full assurance because he has sprinkled me clean from an evil conscience and has washed my bodies with pure water. Now, This passage here, pure water, some debate over it, whether it means baptism or whether it has to do with the new covenant. And to be perfectly honest, I think probably it has to do with both. I think it probably has to do with the inward cleansing from an evil conscience, outward cleansing. Baptism is a symbol of the inward reality that God has done in our lives. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36, if you can... Turn real quick to Ezekiel. If not, I understand. It's kind of an obscure book. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 25. He he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will put these within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Pardon me. The heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. But I, pardon me. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. So here we see, you you hear me use this language all the time, taking out your heart of stone and putting in with our heart of flesh. This is where it comes from. This is a new covenant passage. This is talking about what the Lord is going to do for us who are a part of the new covenant. If you'll notice there, he also talks about he will sprinkle our consciences and give us the Holy Spirit. So all three of these word pictures, if you will, point to the reality of the new covenant that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is, he's wrapping up his book here. 
He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Now, we always read that passage and we read the husbands and wives bits, rightly so. But he does say at the end of the passage, it's a mystery because I'm not actually talking about husbands and wives. I'm actually talking about the church. Christ sanctified us by washing us with the water of the word. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, bodies washed with pure water. All of that is saying this. We come to the Lord on the basis of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for us based on the truth that we find in Scripture itself. And I have a full assurance of faith in doing that. Secondly, that's individually. Every single one of you individually. Secondly, there's a corporate confidence or a congregational confidence that we have. This applies to all of us corporately and to the Hebrew church there in Rome corporately. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. One of the great threats in the early church was persecution. What that would mean is that they would take you and force you to confess something other than Jesus Christ is Lord. Oftentimes, it was because you would say Jesus Christ is Lord that you suffered persecution because Caesar and Caesar alone was supposed to be Lord. The encouragement here is that we shouldn't waver because we should hold fast to our confession. Now, there's several confessions throughout the New Testament here. In fact, one is look in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Speaking of Jesus Christ, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found. In human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is an early confession. We find this exact passage coming up over and over and over and over and over and over all throughout church history that Christians have confessed. Namely, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You are in a church. You know that? (laughs) The church isn't the building, it isn't the wood, it isn't the stucco, it isn't the stained glass, it isn't even the pulpit, and it isn't even the altar up here. It's the people. The church of God is the people of God. We could call it the kingdom of God here on this earth. The 
church or the kingdom militant. We are still fighting this fight. We are not the kingdom triumphant yet, or the church triumphant, which means those who are already in heaven. And as a church, we have a confession. Now, we specifically here at Sovereign Joy, we have a more accurate and specific confession. You can look at it in the back of your hymnals. You can find it on our website. It's the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. The reason we have that is because it's very easy for you to walk up or to be talking with somebody. Maybe this has happened to you. Where you're talking with somebody and they say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And you go, oh really? Well, what do you believe? And they say, the Bible. Okay. (laughs) That doesn't really help though, does it? Because who's not going to say, I believe the Bible, right? Everyone's going to say, I believe the Bible. So while, okay, yes, you believe the Bible, good, 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 good. It's one of the reasons our confession begins with the Bible, (laughs) because that is our authority. It's true. But what we want to do is we want to explain what we mean when we say we believe the Bible, because there's all kinds of different ideas out there. When we come to this passage here, and it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope, of course it's not talking about the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, because it hasn't been written yet. But what we try to do is we try to take Scripture and simplify it in outline form to help you understand and you see, here are the things we believe Scripture teaches about all of these various topics. But when it comes to the bottom line, as Christians, the confession of hope that we confess without wavering is Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then we could add, by the power of the Holy Spirit, since we're Trinitarian. The confession that we hold on without wavering is Jesus Christ is our Lord. Now that is offensive. And it's becoming more and more and more offensive in the world. More and more people do not want us to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. They do not want us to stand upon the Lord's word, his principles, his ways, his means. But beloved, let us hold fast our confession. Why? Because we have a confidence through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a new and living way that he opened up through his own death. And we have a great high priest who intercedes for us there in the household of God right now currently praying for us. So, beloved, we have the position of authority. We have the position, what's the right way to say this? We we have everything that we need in Christ Jesus. It is silly, and we look back at Peter, for example, and we see his denial of Christ there on the night of his crucifixion. And we go, what a bonehead. And we read through the book of Acts and we get to the passage there in chapter 13 where John Mark is ministering with Peter and and it's amazing and Barnabas is there and they're healing people and they're preaching God's word and all kinds of things are going on and then something happens, we don't know what, and Mark leaves. And we go, what a bonehead. And we go through scripture and we find these people. And you know what? To be perfectly fair and honest, we don't know exactly what they're going through. And let's be honest. We have denied Christ ourselves in many, 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 many ways. The call to action here is don't deny Christ. Have confidence in him. 
full assurance without wavering. He has you. He has you. He is your authority, not the person in front of you who is making you feel awkward and uncomfortable, not the situation in your, that you're in where you feel like, oh, I can't say, I can't do. As a church, corporately, we confess these things so that individually, as we go out from here, we confess these things. You see, we corporately confess these things as Jesus Christ is Lord, and we have a camaraderie of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ here right now. Which leads us to our last one, stir one another up to good works and don't neglect to meet together. I need you. (laughs) You need me. You need each other. And I need every single one of you. We need one another. The individual confidence we have and the corporate confidence we have all works because we have a relational confidence with one another and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let me ask you this. It is a softball question. How are you doing in stirring one another up to love and good works? You might say, I'm not even sure what that looks like. You might say, I think I'm doing pretty good. Those are both good answers. Those are both fine and understandable. What does it mean to stir one another up to love and to good works? Well, James is a book that's just a hop, skip, and a jump from Hebrews here. And in James chapter 2, James writes this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you will love your neighbor as yourself, and you are doing well. You will love your neighbor as yourself, and you are doing well. One of the ways we stir one another up to love and good works is I simply love one another the way I love myself. So I see a need and I try to go help and I try to fill it. I I know that there's something going on in somebody's life, so I pray. That's one of the things that I do more often than just about anything else practically for sure is just praying. Praying and praying and praying for people and things and situations all the time. Every once in a while, I'll shoot somebody a text and just say, hey, how's it going? How's this? You know, this particular thing going on. Sometimes it actually has to, you know, take a little bit of a sharp tone saying, hey, haven't seen you in a while. Or, hey, haven't heard from you. What's going on? And what we want to do is we want to stir one another up so that we are continually loving one another as we love ourselves to love and to good works. This is one of the, how do I want to say it? I don't think I'm overstating it. This might be the single most important thing we do as a, do as a church apart from worship. When we read the New Testament, we find over and over and over again, one another, one another, one another, one another, one another, one another. Here we see it here, stirring up one another to love and to good works. Jesus said that there are two chief commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's worship. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's this relational confidence that we have. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. We have to be in each other's lives if this is going to take place. Now, I have had people over the years say, well, this doesn't mean go to church. 
You know, this, this isn't saying you got to go to church. I can do this out there in the world with any Christian that I come across and any Christian that I meet. Okay. I'm, I'm certainly not going to deny that, but instead I'd rather say more than that. I'd rather say that and. There's, I definitely have a relationship with other Christians. I work with other Christians. I'm in Rotary and there's some other Christians in Rotary Club. Uh, but here in the context of this group of people that we gather together with regularly, this is where my focus ought to be in stirring one another up to love and good works. Because you, I have the closest relationship in Christ. It's right here. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with loving them and stirring them up. But this is where my worship takes place. And therefore, this is where my focus in this aspect needs to be. And we shouldn't neglect to meet together as the habit of some. And not, what he's talking about here isn't missing like three or four Sundays. <laughs> right? You know, that's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, I am not going to continue meeting with the body because of the persecution that I'm under and the fear that I have about somebody seeing I'm going and hanging out with that group of people. That's specifically in the context of what he's talking about here. Do we want to be here as much as we can? Of course. Of course. Of course we do. But what we want to do is we want to stir one another up to love and good works and encourage each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus is going to come back. I, I, those words are hard to say, and the reason is is because the church tradition that I came out of was banging the rapture drum. Rapture, rapture, rapture. Every day's rapture day. It could be today. Perhaps today. In fact, that was my screensaver for a long time. Perhaps today. Because the rapture could happen right now. Okay, it didn't. But it could have. <sighs> and that's where my focus was for many, many years was on the day drawing near. Not on all of this important stuff. Yes, the day is drawing near. Yes, Jesus is going to return. But that doesn't mean I constantly live just right here. It means that I go and live my life in light of all that Christ has done, knowing he is going to return to glorify him right now. You see? I live in light of the past work he's done and the future things that he's going to do right now as I live my life amongst all y'all. So Christ is our foundation for all of these things. And this passage here <clears throat> gives us a glimpse into what's coming in the future in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be talking a lot about the true heart we need to come with the Lord individually as I relate with him. We're going to talk about the confidence in our corporate relation together. And we're going to talk a lot about the relational confidence that we can have as we stir one another up to love and good works. But beloved, as we see the day drawing near, one of the things that we want to do is we want to be people of the word of God who are encouraging each other with the word of God so that we might live out the word of God to the glory of the God who wrote the word. Amen. Lord. We thank you and praise you for your gift of grace and mercy to us. Because without that, Lord, we have nothing. And so we pray that as we take the words from this sermon like this, that's 
both doctrinal and practical, and we look forward to a whole lot more practical things that are going to come up. We ask that you would have this in our minds throughout the week. How can we come with full assurance of faith? How can we hold fast our confession? And how can we stir one another up to love and good works? My prayer is that would be our prayer throughout this whole week, Lord. All for your glory and honor and praise, Jesus. In your name, amen.